Hey everybody, welcome back to We Are Podcast. This is We Are Endor, Season 1, Episode 1, An Unexpected Journey. If this is your first time checking out the Podcast Network, please head over to your favorite podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, or iTunes, and give We Are Podcast Network a like. And if you get a chance, head over to our social media. All links can be found in the description. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at backslash we are podcast. And with that said, on to the podcast. We are Endor. Hey everybody, welcome to We Are Endor, a Lord of the Rings podcast where we talk from the Great Lamps to the Fourth Age, talking orcs and hobbits is all the rage. I don't know. Something like that. Something like that. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. So this is Duck, and I'm here with my beautiful girlfriend, Sophie. How are you doing? I'm good. Yes, and we are going to talk Lord of the Rings, because Sophie is literally an encyclopedia of Lord of the Rings. She knows fucking everything. Or just about. Yes, no, you know everything. So we're going to start by talking today about our history with Lord of the Rings and how we got into it. I am not the biggest fan of Lord of the Rings. You are a huge fan of Lord of the Rings. I'm the biggest fan of Lord of the Rings. I know a lot about it, and it's 20% of my waking thought. 20% of your waking thought is Lord of the Rings? Probably. (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot, now that I think about it. And and you do think about it a lot because you have on your Tumbumbler... You have Lord of the Rings Tumbumbles that pop up, especially Boromir and all of his gayness. Yeah, so about, so I, like, I don't really do social media, but I do have a Tumblr account, and most of the blogs I follow are Lord of the Rings fandom-related blogs, and there's a lot of Boromir and Myron as well. Who's Myron? Uh, Sauron. Before he turned evil. Oh my god, here we go. This is what this podcast is all about. Explaining to my dumb ass Lord of the Rings and trying to get me into it. So we're going to begin by talking today about our history, like I said. Then later on, we're going to start with the Silmarillion. I can't say The Silmarillion. Silmarillion? S-I-L. Sil. Sil. Marillion. Marillion. Silmarillion. Yeah. Did I do it? Okay. And then we're not sure where we're going to go. We're going to figure it out. We don't know if we're going to go Hobbit, Lord of the Rings... Some of the novels or novelettas or the smaller ones, what do they call those? The appendixes and the other works of Tolkien. So we're going to start with the Sil Sil. I'm going to call it that for now, the Sil Sil. And we're going to go Lord knows where, but we'll figure it out. All right, let's begin with you, Sophie. Where did you find your love of Lord of the Rings? How did it begin? So back in 1999, they released... The first trailer for the movies. Or maybe it was early 2000. Anyway, they released the trailer for the first movie. And I was enthralled. And I was like, I'm going to see that movie. And my parents were like, you are absolutely not going to see that movie. You're four or five. And (laughs) um, you're not going to see that movie. It's far too blood and guts and gore for a five-year-old. <laughs> and I, I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to see that movie. And they're like, okay, um, what's the easy way to get her to give up on seeing this? Well, she would never read the trilogy. But just in case she does, she'd definitely never read it twice. And I read the trilogy twice so I could see the movies. So their rule was if you read it twice, you could go see the movie. Yeah. And you did that how fast? Uh, within one year. So before the first movie came out, I saw them all in theaters. Oh, wow. Now, how did you prove to them that you read it twice? They saw you reading it? They saw me reading it, and then they like quizzed me on it to make sure I read it. <laughs> 
That's awesome. I'm sorry. So they quizzed you, and this began your love of keeping the knowledge in your head from Lord of the Rings. Well, no. So really, I got into the lore and all the stuff behind it a couple years later. There was a uh, silent auction at my parents' church. And even back then, I already worshipped Lord of the Rings, not God. But um, <laughs> but um, I went to their church, and there was a silent auction, and there was a little basket full of Lord of the Rings stuff. And I didn't say anything, but I guess I said something like with my actions. And they decided, okay, yeah, we'll get that for Sophie. And no one else really wanted it, so they didn't have to bid super high or anything like that. And they got it for me. And so it came with... because it was demonic. It was Lord of the Rings. It's evil. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It came with a lot of the different books besides the trilogy and The Hobbit. So it had a copy of The Silmarillion. It had some of the Forgotten Tales. It had the trilogy itself and a hardback cover with some of the appendices. And so it was reading those appendices that really got me into it because it had a lot of background into the trilogy that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise. And that's what really inspired my interest was reading about the different languages and Tolkien's background that drew him to writing the story. And the Silsil, the Silmar- Silmarillion, did I say it right? Yeah. Is your favorite book. Yeah. Hands down. My like, favorite book. You love it. And yeah, so, not just my favorite Lord of the Rings book, my favorite book. Period. Hands down. Period. Done. So when you read that, though, did it take you even further into the world you've already read about? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So you can think about the Silmarillion in a variety of different ways. You can think of it as the setting of Lord of the Rings. You can think of it as the genesis of the Lord of the Rings, if the Lord of the Rings is the Bible. It sets everything up in the beginning. You can think of it as, you know, Tolkien's love letter to his world that he had created. But really, it is the story of three gems called the Silmarils and everything you need to know to understand that story. So it's broken up into a variety of parts, but Silmaril is glowing gem, bright gem, along those lines in Elvish, in Kenya, uh, not Sindarin, which are two dialects of Elvish. It means book. So there is a book called the Indorilian, which would be the story of Middle-earth, or the book of Middle-earth, which was a scholarly work written about Tolkien's world back in the 1990s. But the point being, the book itself is the story of the Silmarils, like fundamentally from the name itself, that's what Tolkien intended. And that's the book, like I said, that you are totally enthralled by. Yes. And, and, and you love it. We'll, we'll skip to me real quick in my introduction to Lord of the Rings or the universe or, or Middle Earth, I guess that's what we should say. The Middle Earth Legendarium. Yes. So the Legendarium, I like that. The Middle Earth Legendarium. So I began my journey in small journey, not a large one, by getting my hands on The Hobbit. And Jason Steiner, shout out to you, Jason, because you might be listening. He gave me a copy of The Hobbit, which I don't think I ever gave back to him. And I am sorry about that. So he gave me this really old copy of it. I Throw don't... out to Marcus Zusak. Read his book, The Book Thief. What is it? The Book Thief by Marcus Zusak. And that's what about? What about what it, it's about a girl in Nazi Germany reading books. But the title is The Book Thief, and you're a book thief. I'm a book thief. I'm a total book thief. And I read up until they got to the Elvish village, and they're in the barrels, and they got to get out. And they sat in those barrels for a long time in my mind until I decided to finish it. So it was probably five years after that. So I probably started reading it when I was 11 or 12 and finished it when I was 17, 18, maybe. Goodness I remember being at a dentist's office. And I was like, I should finish this. And so I was outside in the car and I just picked it up and I couldn't put it down then. And for me, it was hard to read. 
for you, it was not hard to read. And that's no. what's always shocking. A five-year-old reading that book is intense. And so your comprehension had to have been on a different level because the Lord of the Rings sometimes is boring, much like the Bible, huh. where it just has a compendium of characters and their lineage and uh, descriptions, long-winded diatribes about different lands and things going on. It's a history book in a lot of the ways. I would say in most ways it is a history book. I would not describe The Lord of the Rings as a set of novels by any means. It's far more akin to a book of history. I mean, like, yes, it's fiction. It's a fiction book, but I I wouldn't ever call it a novel because it's not a story that can be encompassed in the hero's journey or something like that simply alone. There's so much more to it that it is always going to be more than a novel. Why do you think The Lord of the Rings, that trilogy, stands out from everything else? Why do you think that's the big key thing that people take away when they think of Middle Earth, they think Lord of the Rings? Why that book series, or single book, I guess it was broken up eventually. So The Lord of the Rings was published as six books. Two books were collected into The Fellowship, two books were collected into The Two Towers, two books were collected into The Return of the King. And they were written and published way back, you know, before the Second World War. They were written in large part following World War I, where Tolkien had served in the British military. And following the war, he became a professor of language. He was fluent in, you know, a variety of languages. And as an intellectual exercise, he went and created his own languages. In order to create a language, it's not as simple as just saying, okay, well, this word means this and that word means that and da 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 right language grows with a culture or with a history and so he created the history in this entire world just to justify the languages he was creating for fun for fun that's the key he did it for fun (laughs) and um he then later on and during this process he also told fantastical bedtime stories to his son And those grew into The Hobbit and parts of Lord of the Rings, as well as, you know, The Silmarillion and other books. But it was this process that was so complete that nothing else compares to it. Even during its time, you know, like if you go back to fantasy books published around that time, you have Chronicles of Amber, Ouroboros, one or two other fantasy novels. Chronicles of Narnia, right? Yes. He was a close correspondent. C.S. Lewis was a close correspondent of Tolkien's. And they disagreed on a great many things. They were rivals and friends, right? Yes. But beyond that, there were not many things published in that time. And certainly nothing with such a backstory that was so firmly established. So much so that it was real in his mind. I guess the question was, those books, they had a hold... Or at first they weren't found by people, and eventually people found his work. Is that correct? Right. So the the Hobbit and the trilogy were published, and the trilogy became the defining work. That's what his publisher thought would sell. That's what they focused on marketing. It was only after his death that the other books were published by his son, Christopher. And so Christopher, he was head of the Tolkien estate. Tolkien, Tolkien, Tolkien estate. I don't know. Is it Tolkien or Tolkien, or what is it? You can pronounce it however you like. It's, I mean... There is obviously like a definitive pronunciation, but so many people say it so many different ways that it's not really something to quibble over. And he was the caretaker of the estate up until he passed away a couple years ago. That's right. Yeah, I, I'm still Morning. still not happy <laughs> about his passing. I mean, obviously no one's happy when someone dies. The control of the estate, changing hands, is dire, I think, 
for the future of the Lord of the Rings. You believe that the selling of the rights to Amazon for a hundred million was a cash grab? Oh, and one hundred percent. And they're going to totally botch it. You're totally, you're I'm very t- afraid. I'm not totally convinced they're going to botch it, but I am very concerned for the direction they're taking. So we know it's set in the Second Age. Like looking at the casting, we know it's primarily going to be elves. We know Galadriel will be a prominent character. Other than that, we don't know a whole lot about it. Is the same actress coming back to play? No, it's a younger actress. Okay. Uh, who was the actress who played Galadriel? I can't remember. I know her. She's Kate so Blanchett. A hell of an actress. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk real quick about the movies. You wanted to go see the movie. You read the book series twice, or the trilogy twice, and you got to go see it. What was your experience going to see Fellowship of the Rings? It was transcendent. I did not expect you to say that, because I know you're not a huge fan of the the movie trilogy. I I do like the movie trilogy. I do not love the movie trilogy. Okay. That is mainly because it is not accurate to the books, right? And no movie ever is. I think that Lord of the Rings got a lot closer than most movie adaptions do. And I do enjoy the movies quite a bit. They're very, very enjoyable movies to watch. I know you love the music. Yes. um, Howard Shore is delightful. I love his music. Yeah, he killed it. For example, the average movie score is written in about four to six weeks. He spent months, years, literal years making the score for that movie. There are so many leitmotifs and different elements woven in. There is a theme for every location. There's a theme for every character. There is a theme for every mood. And that's how he composed it. Was like, So each piece is not just a song. It's the embodiment of all the elements of the scene. When Boromir passes and Merry and Pippin are taken by the Urukai, you know you have the music is the Amenhem theme, it's the Boromir theme, it's the Aragorn theme, it's the Hobbit theme, and it's the mourning themes. And you can see all, or hear, I suppose, all of this in the music because it was crafted with such intent. Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful, the music from Lord of the Rings, and it sticks with you, and it's, it's got a, a simple theme you know, that dun-dun-dun-dun, I can't do it. But you know what I'm talking about, the theme for the ring itself, you know, which is, is beautiful and evil at the same time. It's sinister in a way, and it sticks with you. Everything about it, I, I think The Lord of the Rings was a passion project for Peter Jackson. I think he truly went in with the best intent to make the best film version of the trilogies possible. Absolutely. The and Hobbit, not as much. Not as much. I think if Guillermo del Toro was able to direct The Hobbit like he was supposed to, it would have worked. But Peter Jackson was not prepared to direct The Hobbit. He got pushed into it. Well, not only that, but I think also that Peter Jackson was given a very short time to create those movies. And so a lot of stuff was done with CGI that, you know, in the trilogy was done by Weta. Yeah, Um, practical. And that's what works is the trilogy of Lord of the Rings has practical effects and CGI. You know that. But so much of it's practical, it feels real. There's miniatures, there's makeup, there's hobbit feet, you know? It feels like a lived-in world. Hobbiton is a real place where you can go visit in New Zealand. You know, they build it into the hills, and that's awesome. That's why it feels real, and it feels great. And with The Hobbit, so much of it's CGI you just, it's hard, and I get it, it's high fantasy, so it's, I kind of forgive it, because he's reading a book, and so maybe it's heightened, but at the same time, it's hard. I do think The Desolation of Smog is great. I've only ever seen it once, but I appreciated it, but I've also seen people critique it, where they're like, it's so cartoony. Yeah, I wasn't a fan. Not a fan at all. Yeah. No, I think that also that um they strayed much further from the books in the Hobbit trilogy 
than they did in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And part of that is due to the rights they had, right? So for the rights of Lord of the Rings, they only had the rights to the three books. If it wasn't in one of the three books, they couldn't include it in the films. Whereas in The Hobbit, they had access to more of it, but still not all of it. But they had enough that they could make references to other things. So, for example, in the beginning of The Hobbit, right when they would go on their journey, Bilbo asks about the wizards, the order of the wizards, the history. And Gandalf says, there's myself, there's Radagast, there's Saruman, and there's two others. And I've forgotten their names. And we know they have names. Alatar, Palando, but they weren't included because they didn't have rights, but they made these self-referential things. And then they also created new characters wholesale for the films. There was Tariel, who was the romance for Keeley and Feely, the female elf. She's not a real character. And I think you can kind of see that watching the movie. She feels flatter than the others. You know, Legolas wasn't featured in the trilogy either. Or in The Hobbit. In The Hobbit, yeah. Yeah. I do feel like... It was less of a love letter to the books and more of um, sending a notice of debt collection to the books. It was totally a cash grab is what it was. It was 100%. People love Lord of the Rings. It's given them more. And there's certain scenes that work. I think the riddles in the dark with Gollum works in The Hobbit. I think it's good. Is it the exact same as the book? No, but it's still a good scene. That does work. I agree. And I think that is in great part due to the character of Gollum. Yeah, and Andy Serkis' portrayal. Andy Serkis was a fantastic choice for Gollum. Yes, and so when you saw Gollum finally in the movies of the original trilogy, I guess he appears in The Two Towers, right? He appears in The Fellowship as well in the extended edition. How did you feel about seeing him for the first time on screen? Because he's such a big character in the trilogy. He looked so much like I imagined, and I don't know why, because many of the characters did not... But he did, and it felt right. And he should have won an Oscar for that portrayal. Oh, no doubt. It was stolen from him. Just because it was a, a motion, a body motion, CGI character, or whatever you call it, it was stolen from him. That is an epic, epic portrayal. But at the same time, I like the movies. When I saw them, I saw the first movie at home on DVD because it was a huge DVD. And what's great about the DVD is it had all these special features. And that's what was amazing. A lot of current filmmakers were brought up by the Lord of the Rings, such as I was brought up by Star Wars. I would see behind the scenes of Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Making a Jedi was a big thing. And it made me want to be a filmmaker. It made me want to create things. It made me intrigued by that world. And then Lord of the Rings just enhanced that for a lot of people, where they saw the behind the scenes in the making. There was no mystery. They showed it firsthand. Like, this is hard work that we put in, and we want people to see what we did. That was really cool, but the movie itself was just so good like the fellowship is so good i think i've watched it 20 times you know what i mean and you've probably watched it more than me i've watched it a whole lot (laughs) (laughs) i don't know how many times enough times that i wore out the two towers oh my god the two towers you watched that many times yes is that the favorite of yours out of the three of the films Yes. I think it's on par with The Empire Strikes Back as a sequel. It's better than the original. It continues the story. It's more emotionally grounded, too. Yes, absolutely. And and when the orcs attack the other orc and say, fresh meat, I freaked out. I was like, what the fuck? Does that happen Uh, in the book? It says meats back on the menu, boys. Oh, my God. That freaked me out so bad. That was such a Peter Jackson. like As a fan of his gory stuff, Dead Alive is one of my favorite movies ever made. Meet the Feebles is one of the creepiest movies I've ever seen. I love Peter Jackson movies. I just do. I'm there. I'm there for almost all of them, excluding King Kong, which is 
is a hot mess. It's pretty garbage. But everything else he's done has been really good. Hey everyone, it's just Duck jumping in here real quick to say thank you so much for checking out the podcast today. If you're enjoying it, head over to your favorite podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, or iTunes, and give We Are Podcast Network a like. And if you get a chance, head over to our social media. All links can be found in the description. You can find us at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at backslash We Are Podcast. And with that, back to the podcast. How about when we get to Return of the King? I saw that in theaters, and I'll never forget it because the movie was awesome. But there was somebody who was in the crowd who was mentally handicapped who kept commenting on the movie. And so in the background, you would hear, where's Sam? There he is. There's Sam. And like the whole movie. And my girlfriend at the time was getting pissed. She was going to go say something. I was like, that person's disabled you can't say anything to them so at the end whenever frodo and sam show up on screen you know it's that tender moment where they stare in each other's eyes and and have that moment she screams there's frodo i just lost it laughing i couldn't hold it in anymore it was great when i saw the return of the king i think i was eight i might have been nine i was enraptured but i did leave the theater the spider came on. Yes. I could have guessed that. The spider came on and you were out. What's the spider's name? She Love. Yeah. Well, she no love that spider because that thing scared the shit out of you, didn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, How yeah. long did you leave the theater for? And just until I I stood by the door so I could hear the audio. And I know the, the series well enough that I was able to come in when I knew what they were saying when the spider was gone. And what you need to understand is Sophie has a phobia of spiders because she grew up in a house that had an infestation of spiders. Yeah, an infestation of brown recluses. Yeah, so she does not mess around with spiders. Nothing to do with them. Nothing to do with Nothing. them. Nothing. And so have you ever actually watched those scenes in the movie? Have you I have seen those scenes. And it does it scare the shit out of you? Viscerally unpleasant. I gotcha. <laughs> Terribleness. What did you think of the film trilogy as a whole? You said it doesn't really hold up to the books. It doesn't hold up to the books as a tool for teaching or telling the story of the world as a form of entertainment it's wonderful right like movies are lovely they're great movies i don't think it holds up in terms of history but that's okay because that's not what they were meant to do and have you seen the ralph bashke uh what is it the return of the king the animated one have you seen that and the hobbit I have seen quite a few clips of it, but I've not seen them in their entirety. And I've also seen a good portion of the Soviet films as well. The Soviet Hobbit, right? They made their own version. Yes, Yes. of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. Oh, they did The Lord of the Rings also. They didn't finish it, but they began it. Oh, that's crazy. I knew that there was one that was unfinished in the Soviet. That's a lost film. That's something we'll never really get to see in its full, you know, version, and that's kind of sad. But it's a very different animation style. It's unique. It's Slavic-inspired, so I I mean, it also is very, very Soviet new wave of film. And so if you know anything about Soviet film, that should kind of clue you into how it is different. But it's nothing like any Lord of the Rings you've seen. I, I know nothing about Soviet film, so I don't I don't know. But we'll check it out at some point, I think, so within Absolutely. this podcast. Where does that leave you at the end of the day? Do you read the books over and over again? Do you go back, like you said, to the sill sill, as I'm calling it, and I shouldn't? Because the look in your face says, don't call it that. I'm calling it that. <laughs> Do you go back to that often, or do you go back to segments of the books that you like to read, or how does it interact with you in your daily life? 20% of your daily life is a lot. I do go back and read passages with relative frequency, and then in addition to that, I tend to read the trilogy once a year, I'm in the Silmarillion once a year. I don't read The Hobbit that frequently, or any of the other 
collected works. And that's what I got you for Christmas. I got you a bunch of books from... Uh, and the one was really interesting because it was paintings done by Tolkien himself. Yes. Oh, the, the art book is gorgeous. Yeah, it's bizarre. He painted Middle Earth. And his, I don't know how this man did all of this. Was I don't know if he... They gave him cocaine for his teeth or something like that. I don't know what, but he was able to create this world and then paint this world too. And like some of the paintings are good, some of them are amazing, and some of them are trash. <laughs> I would say less that they're trash and more that they're simple. And you know, his art style is definitely the art style of an amateur, but you can see there's heart in it. And the degree to which he put time into each piece varies, but they're all fascinating. All right, so this has kind of been a look of our history of the Middle Earth and what kind of got us into it. Now, I've never read the books for The Lord of the Rings. I have a friend, Big Nick. I remember he had the collection. He's like, this is awesome. And I've had so many people in my life coming in and out that were just like, I love Lord of the Rings, the books. I read them all the time. So I'm not a nerd like everyone else. I'm not in the knowledge or I don't have the knowledge that you have, you know. So that's what we're planning on doing here. So we're going to start with the Silmarillion. Did I say it right? Yes, you did. The Silsil. I'm still doing it all here. And we're going to go through it kind of chapter by chapter, maybe a little bit more. So some of the chapters are self-contained and that you don't need to read anything else to really parse them. And then some of them, you can read longer portions that will be a more complete thing to discuss. So yeah. It'll vary, probably from episode to episode. And we'll let you know what we're looking at, so you can do it the same time as us. We're going to have guests on the podcast that will come in and kind of spice things up a little bit. We'll give them a little bit of homework. Sophie's going to do all the work by putting stuff together, because I'm editing. You're putting together the, the stuff we're going to talk about, okay? <laughs> so Certainly. I mean, I'm, I'm going to make you a bit of a host on this. So I already know what we're going to read. Yes, so. and, and you know all the knowledge in between. And this is the thing, in our car ride, to go pick up medication or go grocery shopping or whatever i'll be like so tell me what the dwarfs did and you'll go on a long rant about dwarf history and the families and what's going on in the mines of moria and all this stuff i think that was connected and then we talked about the lamps and we talked about god we just talked about so much i when i say we talked about you talked about i listened yes and you are an encyclopedia of the lord of the rings that's why i was like well let's do this podcast because i know we're going to start talking about something i'm going to say a name like dennis and you're gonna be like well dennis was a descendant of great john and, <laughs> and this is how it happens and it was connected to sauron well and... dennis is a french name so it wouldn't be included in lord of the rings <laughs> i reaching in my back pocket for anything i don't know any of the the name aragorn and then you would be like well his real name is this and well his name is aragorn elisar but he went by estelle and they knew him as the ranger what was his ranger um, name thorngill yeah that's that's what i'm saying right there and like literally we'll look up lord of the rings trivia and sophie will just go to town on it so it's gonna be fun we're gonna have a blast doing it like i said we're gonna have some guests on that'll be fun other than that yeah anything else i don't think so all right so thank you so much for listening we don't have a tagline to go out on so go read the go read the silmarillion and we'll get started silmarillion right i got it right that time and so we're going to start by reading the song, the choir of Eru Iluvatar and the creation story of the Ainur. If you want to join along with us for the next episode, we're going to be reading the Ainu Lindale. We'll also discuss the Valaquenta, but it will primarily be the Ainu Lindale. Okay. Maybe it's We Are Endor, a podcast about Middle Earth. And why is it We Are Endor? Why did we choose that? What is Endor? Endor is the Kenyan name 
for Middle Earth. So you have the the complete world, Arda. You have all of existence, Ea. And then in Arda, you have the western continent, Valinor. And you have the eastern continent, Endor. And Endor later became the world we live in today. Oh, like this world? Yes. So we're part of the Middle Earth? Yes. What? What? There were hobbits and elves and dwarves and orcs and yes. orcs. So and... the first character that Tolkien ever created was Eärendil. And now Eärendil later changed his name. And Eärendil ended up being the name used for Elrond's father. But originally, Eärendil was an Anglo-Saxon man living in Somerset who got on a boat and sailed west and somehow found the straight road, which is the term for sailing into Valinor. It's called the straight road because originally the world was flat and you could continue sailing west to that western continent. And then God, or Eru, made the world round and you had to take the straight road, the flat road, to the elf continent instead of the curved world around the world. And so he found a way... To the elves, and he landed at Tolaresia and told his story and learned the history and brought the history of Middle Earth back to Earth. And Tolkien just translated. That's what he says. That sounds so much like the Mormon religion in a way. Like it's bizarre, like the translation part. But Lord of the Rings, in a lot of ways, Middle Earth or the world Tolkien created is a religion unto itself a lot of people take it that seriously yourself included like you said you not into the bible but you're totally into the trilogy you're totally into the sil sil so it's right and i mean tolkien despised allegory so that's why he hated narnia (laughs) yes so he would absolutely not say it's an allegory for the bible but in many ways you can see some of the same themes and i think that um we'll especially get into this in the next episode But I think that the idea of musical themes and stories is a defining characteristic of The Lord of the Rings and is why you have references to the Bible as well as other things while also not being a tale of allegory. And we'll get into the history of Tolkien himself eventually. We'll do an episode on that. Absolutely. So that'll be cool. Well, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being here, Sophie. Thank you so much, Duck, for being here. (laughs) We're going to continue this on. Thank you so much for listening, and you guys uh, have a good day. I don't. We need a tagline for it. Fuck off! No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What do, what do we say? Don't be an orc. Don't be a hobbit. Don't be a bitch. <laughs> what do you got? Well, here at last, dear friends, on the shores of the sea comes the end of our fellowship in Middle Earth. Go in peace. I will not say do not weep, for not all tears are an evil. We're gonna say all that. We can just say, well, here at last, dear friends. On the shores of the sea comes the end of the podcast. Go in peace. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> go in peace. I like that. That's a nice way to say it. Go in peace, our friends. So we will see you next time. And there it is. Thank you again so much for checking out the podcast today. If you enjoyed it, head over to your favorite podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and iTunes, and give We Are Podcast Network a like. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, you're going to love the other podcasts here on the We Are Podcast Network. We have We Are Air, where we talk movies, entertainment, whatever the fuck we want to talk about. That's me, that's Jake, and that's Hobby. We're breaking down that pop culture, and we're having so much fun. Heroes, Jeros, a Dungeons and Distractions side quest. Me and the boys were playing some D&D. You can start that one from Season 1, Episode 1. It's a blast the whole way through. And I hate being sober. Personal stories from epic people. I sit down with some of my favorite people of all time. We talk about their trials, their tribulations, and their journey this far. 
And finally, our new live video podcast, Camp Slash Horrorcast, where we're going to have a roundtable discussion about our favorite horror movies. That'll be available on Twitch and YouTube, streaming every Monday at 8 p.m. Check the links in the description to find out what movies we'll be watching. Also, check the links in the description for our social media. You can find us at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at backslash we, our podcast network. With that said, thank you so much for checking out the podcast today. Please remember to support local comedy in any way that you can. We'll see you next time.